we are beginning a new uh, sermon series uh, on the Psalms this summer. Uh, the Psalter, or the Book of Psalms, is 150 Psalms. Um, it's divided into five books. Some of you might remember that a few years ago we preached several Psalms out of the first book, out of book one. Uh, this summer, uh, we're going to be looking at book two. Not the whole book, but several selections out of Psalm 42 uh, through 72. The Psalms are, are more quoted in the New Testament than any other uh, book of the Bible, but uh, they're often somewhat foreign uh, to our ears. They're not like some of the more familiar sections like Paul's letters or the narratives of the Gospels or some of the stories that you find in the Old Testament. Uh, the Psalms are they're classified as wisdom literature. They, they have a sort of poetic uh, bent to them. I think, I think the best way to understand them is not as songs, uh, but as a collection uh, of prayers. It's a collection of prayers given by God to his people to teach us about God and to teach us about ourselves. But as prayers, uh, in particular, they teach us about what it's like uh, to communicate with God, not just to think of him, uh, but to speak to him and, and, of course, to sing to him as well. The Psalms were used uh, and are used uh, in corporate worship. They were, used, um, they were used by the Jews, but also in the Christian church. Uh, psalm singing has been emphasized uh, in much of the Reformed church's history. It's actually, it's only recently uh, that the Psalms wouldn't make up a regular part of, of every Reformed church's uh, weekly singing. I, I don't myself listen to a lot of, I don't, I don't listen to any uh, contemporary Christian music. Um, my impression, though, is uh, this is all from Chick-fil-A. Um, my impression is that it can be rather thin and a bit uh, one-dimensional, one maybe. Um, I think people are often struck by the comparative just emotional range and depth that you find in the Psalms. Uh, John Calvin famously called them an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. Uh, the Psalms have many different authors. Uh, as far back as Moses, uh, David uh, wrote at least 70 of the Psalms, and some of them seem to be as late as the exile or possibly shortly after the exile. So they span a lot of different authors. They span about a 1,000 years so there's many different types of psalms, praise, thanksgiving. Uh, there are royal psalms. Uh, but the largest category, or at least what most people agree, is that the largest category is lament. Uh, so, so what we learn in the psalms is that they show us what's possible in prayer. Rather, rather than telling us uh, just to cheer up, uh, the Psalms make room for us to feel. Uh, they make room for us to be honest uh, with ourselves and with each other about what life is like uh, in this world. Uh, so before we come to this text, uh, one more thing, just one more thing I wanted to mention about the Psalms, something that uh, will probably come up a few more times as we look at book two this summer. And that's that the Psalms, they teach us about the life of Jesus. 
not just that he's anticipated in the Old Testament, but actually how he prayed. Uh, We know from the Gospels uh, that Jesus did pray and that he prayed often. We learn in in Luke in particular that he grew in wisdom and stature. The book of Hebrews tells us that he had to learn obedience. And that means that Jesus had to learn uh, how to pray. And you can be sure that he used the Psalms uh, to do that. Before he ever gave the disciples the Lord's Prayer to teach them how to pray, he learned to pray from the Psalms. A Holy Spirit-inspired model of relationship with God. So as we become more familiar with this particular section of Scripture, we, we learn more uh, both about what Jesus has accomplished for us, but also what it means to imitate him as a real human who needed to pray to his Father in heaven. So with that in mind, turn with me uh, to Psalm 42. Uh, You'll notice we're actually going to take Psalm 42 and 43 together. Um, 43 doesn't have a title, and most people agree that these two psalms uh, were probably originally together. You'll notice several overlapping themes as I read them, and there's even There's even a common sort of uh, refrain, like the chorus, um, as I read them. Uh, We've also got it printed for you there in your bulletin. Uh, So please uh, follow along with me, and let's give our attention uh, to the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. This is Psalm 42 and 43. To the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you, from the land of Jordan and and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God. And defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? 
Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We pray that you would bless now the preaching and the hearing of your gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Sometimes only a sad song uh, makes sense. There are times when, when only a sad song really fits the occasion. When you are depressed or feeling down and, and, and maybe you don't even know why, you don't want to hear Pharrell sing happy. Uh, you want to cry with Adele. Uh, there's something else that, that I've just been thinking about this week. Uh, is that sad songs, they've been popular for a really long time. And I, I'm not particularly prone uh, to depression, but I really like, I really like a good sad song. Uh, even, even when there's nothing on the surface, I mean, nothing specifically in the song that actually relates to my situation. Uh, and I know I'm not the only one because country music has been putting out sad songs for at least 100 years. I think the reason is because when it's, when it's done really well, uh, the sad song, it, it does tap into something uh, that you and I can identify with. Uh, that the world is not the way it ought to be. Both believer and unbeliever alike know uh, down in your bones uh, that things aren't okay. And if, if you're not uh, particularly down at the moment, Uh, This psalm still reminds us that the world uh, is a broken place and that until Jesus comes back, there are some things that just won't be fixed. Uh, But for the rest of you, uh, what do you do uh, when you're sad? What songs uh, do you have to sing? You have to have the right kind of song. Uh, This psalm, 42, we're told is a masculine. And... Just so you know, nobody knows what that means. Um, We do know is that it's by the sons of Korah. They were a sort of uh, Levitical order of of musicians. They were the the choir director type people. Um, But 42 through 49 are all uh, by the sons of Korah. And this suggests that they have sort of this focus on communion with God, uh, particularly Uh, in the temple worship. But ironically, this psalm, Psalm 42, is about the lack of God's presence. What do you do if you can't find it? Or if you just don't feel it? So Psalm 42 presents us with this realistic picture of life in a fallen world where there's this struggle against God's enemies. It's a reality for every believer. 
but it's also a struggle that takes place within the believer. It's a spiritual struggle uh, that can lead to what what Martin Lloyd-Jones called spiritual depression. So this morning, uh, as we look at this struggle, uh, there's three things, three things I want us to look at. First, uh, we'll look at the situation, okay? What exactly is the problem that the psalmist is dealing with here? And then there's two solutions I want us to see, uh, that we learn how to talk to ourselves and that we learn how to talk to God. So the situation and then how to talk to ourselves and then how to talk to God. First, uh, the situation. We have to try and make sense out of what is actually going on here in order to make sense of the solutions that come. And he begins, the psalmist begins by telling us what he wants. And he uses this memorable metaphor in verse 1 as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Uh, the, the point here is not a sort of sweet reminder that he loves spending time with God the same way a deer loves playing in the creek. Uh, it's not a comment uh, on his piety. Uh, it, it's an expression of his own utter desperation, the deer pants because he doesn't have what he knows he needs for survival, the very thing he's used to having. We're not told what circumstances uh, led to this situation for the psalmist. It it could be a literal uh, separation from God's people and the activities of the temple, or it could simply be a psychological and emotional state. Uh, brought on by some other crisis. What's clear is that the psalmist is expressing an intense anguish and grief because he doesn't have what he needs to live, a tangible, concrete experience of the presence of God. He tells us in verse 2, it's been going on long enough that he's beginning to wonder if he'll ever appear uh, before God again. So that's, that's, what he, that's what he lacks, but no, or what he says he doesn't have, but notice what he gets. There's this sort of cruel, uh, ironic twist uh, with the water metaphor that gets extended. The psalmist tells us, he thirsts like a deer, and we learn in verse 3 that, that all he gets are his tears. And later in verse 7, uh, when he actually does get water from God, uh, it crushes him. And he says, deep uh, calls to deep. As the waters of misery and affliction and depression pile up and begin to overwhelm him. On top of all that, it seems like he's not eating and not sleeping. All he has is mourning in verse 9 and in 43 verse 2. It's literally... Uh, a walking in darkness. His condition is bad enough that others are taking notice. And it's both the psalmist and his enemies that think God has left the scene. So have you, have you been there? I, I know that some of you have. I know that uh, some of you are there right now. 
and you find yourself asking, well, where is God? He might know about my problems, but he doesn't seem to be showing up. And you might wonder, does, does he even care? Uh, is he good if he is there at all? I thought, I thought that I knew the answers to these questions, but how can I be sure if this is what the Christian life is like? So before, before we look at the solutions that get offered here, um, we need to just notice that this is a real condition. That this is, in a sense, a normal part of the Christian life. Uh, depression is not new. In fact, it is very old. Uh, it has been around since the fall, and it is natural to sing psalms like this one when we can't find God's comfort. It's okay to not be okay. It is human and even Christian uh, just to acknowledge that. In fact, there are good reasons to be discouraged in the world that we live in. Uh, just several days ago, I uh, sat next to my wife while she got a phone call and I could hear uh, tears on the other end of the line. And then my wife started to cry. And then she hung up and we sat and we cried together for a few minutes. Um, children rebel. Friends uh, let you down, or they just move away, or they, they, they die young. For some of you, just showing up to work can be mind-numbing and soul-crushing. And as Christians, we have even more reason uh, to be discouraged about these things because we actually uh, are aware of what is wrong and just how wrong it is. Any attempt to deny these difficulties is a hindrance to real spiritual health. And the psalmist shows that we don't, we don't have to try to do that. We can uh, and you should uh, name these things as violations of God's good intention uh, for his creation. So that's, that's the situation that the psalmist uh, finds himself in. So what are we supposed to do when we don't know where God is? Uh, when we can't find him or feel like he might have forgotten us? Well, the psalm shows us that we have to learn how to talk uh, to ourselves. A few years ago, one of my sons, <laughs> one of my sons was using the bathroom, and I could hear him talking. I thought I thought he might be trying to get my attention. So I said, "Hey, buddy, what you need?" And he said, "I'm not talking to you." <laughs> uh, he was not even embarrassed by that. He just wanted me to stay out of whatever 
conversation he was, he was having with himself. Well, this, this is not exactly the kind of self-talk that I have in mind here, but look, look, look at these two ways that the psalmist, uh, he does talk to himself. The first way is that he challenges himself. Uh, he asks himself questions. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? So while, while acknowledging that his soul is in turmoil, uh, he understands that there's something not right about this. It ought not to be this way. And so then uh, he tells himself what to do. Hope in God. It's his personal uh, resolution. It may not even be what he wants to do at the moment, but he knows it's what he ought to do. So he, he grasps at this distant possibility that he may one day praise God again, eventually. Self, I know that it feels like hell right now, but hope in God, the God of your salvation. Have you ever done that? Uh, Taught yourself the things that you already know? Well, the second thing, uh, more than challenging himself, and really, I think, foundational to being able to challenge himself, the psalmist, uh, he remembers as he talks to himself. This is, this is such an important step in addressing spiritual drought that the Bible talks about it over and over and over again. Uh, in Scripture, a call to remember is a call uh, to action. We remember God in order to remain faithful. We remember his commandments uh, so that we might keep them. And we remember God's love and his mercy so that we might find rest. And when when you have nothing in your present experience to go off of, we have to look to God's faithfulness. His faithfulness uh, to you in your own life, his faithfulness to his people in history. Of course, this this assumes that you actually have something uh, to remember. So for those of you here this morning who who are not particularly discouraged, while things are going fairly well in your life, this is not a time uh, to check out, but a time to fill up because things may not always be this way. Uh, We're to store up all the resources we can so that when the hard times come, you have supplies for remembering. And striking to see that the first thing, the first thing he has vivid memories of in terms of experiencing God are his his memories of times of worship. In verse 4, he mentions the house of God, songs of praise, and And keeping festival, these were times uh, with God's people. We shouldn't shouldn't miss this corporate aspect here. Suffering often, it often causes us to retreat. uh, But we're not made to face the world alone. Uh, We have to work to remember and we need each other to help each other remember. In fact, just our act of worshiping together is a kind of corporate remembering and reminding as we bring each other forward week in and week out. And we say, oh, well, well, you're still going. Okay, I'll, I'll keep going too. 
But these are also, these are also times that are ordained uh, by God. You see, if you long for God's presence, then you must begin where he has promised to meet with you. Uh, God is not, he's not bound to these things, uh, but his ordinances, uh, word and sacrament, are where he's promised to reveal himself most clearly, and no one has a right to expect God to give them a unique and special experience apart from the means that he's ordained. When you do uh, find yourself in a hole, uh, sometimes it's actually it's good memories and, and perhaps even, even memories of, of sweet communion with God uh, that make the present all the more difficult. Uh, and so in verse 5, this first refrain, he says his soul is cast down, and then he repeats it again in verse 6. But, but this time he, he chooses to remember something else. He looks beyond his past experiences. He looks beyond the ordinances. And he says, I will remember God himself. And he talks to himself about the God that he knows. Look at verse 8. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. You see, the, the constant day and night of tears back in verse 3 is met by the day and night of the love of God. Uh, this is the, the central verse of the combined Psalms. And he says, Lord, that is uh, Yahweh, the covenant God, commands his steadfast love, his covenant faithfulness. And he remembers God never sleeps. God never leaves his people. He's the God who makes and keeps his promises. And your despair is never too much for him. It's as the psalmist reflects on these things that the living God of verse 2 becomes the God of my life in verse 8. It's as he reflects on these things that he sees that the character of God is not abstract, uh, but it is personal. He is for you, and in spite of what you see, he is your salvation and your God. Psalm 1 tells us that we're to delight in the law of the Lord and to meditate on it uh, day and night. Uh, the way we might say that is that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Uh, not, not as a mantra, not as some mindless repetition of words, but to train ourselves with the truth about the God who sent his son, about the God who never fails his people. It's not that, it's not that the truth is in opposition to our feelings, but that the truth ought to be the ground of our feelings. It ought to be what regulates our God-given emotions. But preaching to ourselves uh, is not easy. Uh, it takes a lot of practice. It is a work uh, that is never done. As I've already mentioned, uh, 
a prerequisite for talking to yourself is that you actually know what to say. So I'll just remind us again, take this as a charge to place yourself under a biblical uh, ministry, under the regular teaching and preaching of the ordained ministry of the Word so that you can learn to say to yourselves and learn to say to one another, hope in God. As the psalmist talks to himself about God, one, one difficulty uh, emerges. It's, he begins to recognize God's own hand uh, in the situation that he finds himself. In verse 7, it's the waterfalls and the breakers and the waves. Uh, they're God's waves. And as he faces that issue, uh, he turns away from talking to himself and begins uh, to talk to God. In the midst of spiritual loneliness, uh, you have to learn to talk to your father. So in verse 9, he, he calls God his rock, and then in the same breath, he asks, why have you forsaken me? In 43.2, uh, repeats the same idea, but with a little bit stronger language. Uh, he's the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? He is at the same time both deeply assured of God's presence while continuing to feel his absence. He's essentially saying the same thing as his enemies. Where is God? But the difference is he is not mocking God. He is bringing his distress to his father. He's not denying God's presence, but bringing his feelings of God's absence uh, to God. We, we have to bring all of our needs to God, including our need of him. And so what he does is very simple. He asks for help. In 43.1, he, he asks for vindication, defense, and deliverance from enemies. Just as we're, we're not told exactly what caused the distress, uh, we don't know exactly what kind of enemies uh, he has in mind here. Uh, you may wonder, what, what does this really have to do with me? I, I don't have any enemies. I live in Oconee County. But the reason that we're given the psalm, it's not so that you'll know what to say when someone chases you into a cave, but it's because the people of God do have enemies. There are very Real enemies in this life. First Peter 5 says, The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Uh, we all face the threat of death. And of course, there's your own sin that you have to deal with. Uh, for many of you, the, the problem is that these ideas become uh, abstractions. They become the, thing, the kind of things that those preachers say or just sort of Sunday school answers that they seem distant uh, from your real life experience. And, and you begin to think that your difficulties exist in some other realm apart from 
the activity of God. Uh, but the psalmist wants to say, no, there is, there is real pain in this world that can be like a deadly wound in your bones. And it's not just some religious concept. It is, it is a hard reality. And we're invited to plead with God for the destruction of those enemies. We plead with him that he would set things right. Whether it's your health, uh, some kind of fear or anxiety that you're facing, or just the, the darkness of the world, or, or maybe even just the constant pull of your own pride and selfishness, Jesus came to defeat these things. The Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it well when it talks about the office of king for Christ. It says that as king, uh, he came to rule and defend us, but also to restrain and conquer all of his and our enemies. The psalm encourages us to cry out to the God who will take these things away. We are confused and irrational and sinful uh, people. And so his final plea to God, his final plea here is that God would lead him. See, he needs, and, and you and I need, what only God can give, that is real light and real truth, the light that overcomes all the darkness, including your darkness. And if you're a Christian, you, you already know that God answers this prayer because he sent his son to be the light of the world and the capital T, truth. He sent him uh, to lead us not only away from darkness, not only to save us from our enemies, but to lead us to his holy hill, his dwelling, his altar, the fellowship of his presence. The psalmist has no confidence in himself, but all the confidence in the world that God's light and truth lead to real hope. That it's God who will accomplishes, accomplish his purposes and that those purposes are good. So what do you do uh, when you're sad? And what, what song uh, do you sing? Uh, you don't have to try to overlook how you feel. Now, this psalm invites us to be deadly honest about the pain of life and the, the desperation uh, that it can bring. And as we face those things, we can keep talking to ourselves, uh, preaching the gospel to ourselves and to one another, and we can plead with God to lead us home. At the end of the psalm, uh, as far as I can tell, he is still uh, struggling. It seems that his situation has not changed, but it has become a hopeful uh, struggle. 
And for you and I, the, the good news, the good news of the gospel today is not that one day things will be better. Although in, in an ultimate sense that's true. Uh, but the good news here is that God understands what you're going through right now. Uh, Jesus, God in the flesh, he walked this earth. Uh, he was a man of sorrows who had no place to lay his head. His friends, uh, some of them died, and some of them rejected him. And he knew darkness. He knew darkness like no believer ever will because he endured the cross uh, for our sake. And as our high priest, he sympathizes. He sympathizes with our weakness. He remembers what it is like to live in this world. The Son of God, our Savior and King, remembers uh, what it's like to read this psalm. He prayed this psalm. He, he nearly quotes it in Matthew 26 in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's approaching the cross. But now, raised, he sits at God's right hand always to intercede for us. And you can trust that as you pray this psalm, he hears you and he brings those prayers uh, to his Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are not a God who is far off, but one who draws near. We thank you, especially for your son who can sympathize with what it means to be a human that lives in a fallen world and that longs for something greater. I pray that you would work in our hearts a longing to be with you, and I pray that by your spirit, God, you would you would convince us that that is a longing uh, that will be fulfilled. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.